Uh, this morning we're wrapping up a series of messages about our church's stated values, which as most of you know, look like this. Yes, let's go ahead and say those together, not sort of to be cult-like, but just for the sake of impressing them on us ourselves again. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally, serve our neighbors generously, advance God's purposes globally, pour into the next generation intentionally, and cultivate spiritual growth continuously. Last Sunday morning, I and a panel of people who are involved in children's ministry and specifically Kingdom Club, together we talked about uh, that fourth value, pouring into the next generation intentionally. On Monday of this past week, a friend shared a post, wrote a post that I thought was really beautiful and wonderful example of a follower of Jesus pouring into the next generation intentionally. And so I, I thought I'd share that with you, with us this morning, just as another example, sort of uh, kind of tacking on to last week's sermon, which I know is kind of cheating and weird and inappropriate in some ways, but um, I got the mic now, so <laughs> I want to share this with you. Uh, this is a, a friend, we go back uh, 20 years. Uh, she's a little younger than me, has one child, I'm very intentional about how she raises, she and her husband raised that child, a follower of Jesus. She wrote, uh, Dear Angie, and her daughter's name is not really Angie, I'm just inserting that for the sake of her uh, privacy. And I share this with her permission, actually. Dear Angie, yesterday you did not go with me to the funeral of one of the people I have loved the most in my entire life. Instead, you went on a taco safari with your dad. It was a good day for both of us. Her uh, husband, her daughter's dad, is Latino and loves tacos. They all do. For the sake of posterity, I want to let you know about the person we celebrated yesterday. His name was Bill. I called him Billiam. William, Bill, Billiam. Bill and his wife stepped into my life when I was 15 or 16 years old. At that point, I had almost perfected the art of how to make things, things seem like everything was great, when in reality, my daily life was pretty unsteady. Your grandma, my friend's mother, was trying hard, but as a single mom in a family system that only knew survival, things were rough. One weekend on a church retreat, Bill and Mary Lou, if we're honest, it was probably Mary Lou, noticed that I was more excited than the average teenager about the possibility of taking a shower. At that point, we often didn't have running water or electricity at home. So the prospect of three whole days worth of showers was beyond thrilling. At the end of the retreat, Bill approached me and offered to take my clothing to their house to wash and that I could pick it up on Wednesday after youth group. At first I balked, I know how to do laundry, thank you very much. And Bill just smirked and replied, some people pay a lot of money to have a laundry service. The smirk is what got me. That began a rhythm of Sundays after church and Wednesdays after youth group being the time when I went to their house to pick up my clothes and to get two guaranteed showers a week. In those early months, we never talked about my home life. We just kept plugging away at the pretense of my having this luxurious laundry service that others would kill to have. And all this uh, she's writing to her daughter. Now listen, while my socks were getting tumble dried and my hair was wrapped in a towel, a whole other service was being done to my heart. No man in my life was like Bill, gentle, quirky, understated, so incredibly reliable. I was enamored watching him navigate life. He was the kind of person that would sidle up next to you, not for attention, but just to let you know that someone was there. At that point in my life, I had a lot of responsibility, but not a lot of dreams. I knew that at I knew that I was capable, I knew I had skill, but my frame of reference about the life I could have was very small. 
But Bill and Mary Lou started building me. I mean, I had incredible teachers and school counselors. My grandma was a total rock star who had protected me from so much chaos. But Bill and Mary Lou took what the world had given me so far and they started crafting a life that could launch into a most days healthy adulthood. He taught me to balance a checkbook. He gave me a loan with interest for my first car and helped me pick it out. I had no plans of going to college. They helped me sign up for info from schools around the country and get supplies for my dorm when I finally moved to college. There is the bit that was subtle, a subtle beauty about Bill. He never disparaged my mom. He never spoke ill of my family. When I would be bone tired and weeping on the floor from the weight of my life, Bill would sit down at the piano and play songs. Not a word spoken between us. Bill was a manifestation of balm in my teens and 20s. So you may have noticed, she writes to her daughter, I still have some issues, I'm far from perfect. But who I aspire to be is informed by Bill. Reliable, present, hospitable, able to see where a need can be met and helping if I can. Your life, Angie, and the big life you'll have has been impacted by that gentle man, even without needing him to do your laundry, mama. I thought, that's a great example of how a person, a follower of Jesus, can and did intentionally pour into the life of the next generation. And uh, just a reminder from last Sunday and that value that's always there. You can do that, I can do that through praying for the kids in our church, praying for the kids in our community, praying for the kids in our nation, praying for the kids, the next generation in our world. You can do it through volunteering for vacation Bible camp or joining the Kingdom Club team or changing diapers in the nursery. There are endless ways of doing that. One of which has been offering an excellent laundry service and a listening ear and presence to a teenage girl whose life was a shambles. May God guide us in how we can do each of these things, pouring into the next generation intentionally. All right, uh, on to the scriptures uh, for this week's message on the last of our values. Let me pray one more time. God, be among us as you are. Uh, make your presence aware to us. Open us to you in maybe ways that we haven't been recently. We place ourselves holy in your good hands, asking you to shape and mold like a good potter. Mold and make things out of our lives, out of who and what we are, that will bring you glory, that will bring us joy, and that will be a part of the bringing about of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So I want to begin by acknowledging that the phrase spiritual growth doesn't occur in the scriptures. Doesn't occur in the scriptures and neither does the increasingly commonly, more commonly used term or phrase that conveys something similar, spiritual formation. These terms don't occur explicitly in the Bible, but what is meant by them? What is meant by them is present in the scriptures in a variety of ways in many places and sort of all over the place. As examples, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae, the city of Colossae in Asia Minor, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, a continual prayer, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing continually in the knowledge of God. 
And Paul says here, not knowledge about God, information, which is of some value, but knowledge of God, which conveys a personal relationship and a reality and even a, a union. And Jesus' disciple Peter wrote in his second letter, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Sort of keep adding to these things. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, just keep increasing. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It won't simply be information in your life but will be a resource or a well of reality that will pour into, that will build up a person. Two chapters later in the same letter, Peter wrote to the recipients of that letter, grow. He encouraged them, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in knowing him and in relation and grow in grace. What does that look like? Just that alone we could sort of sit on and sit with grow in as much as it's up to you. And we do have a role in this, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that's a lot of words and it may be hard to immediately and clearly hear in those words spiritual growth or spiritual formation, but what Paul and Peter describe is at a minimum the growth and the development and the maturing and even the transformation, not of a person's body, but of their spirit and their will and their mind and their soul all sort of wrapped together. All of these things coming together. And that was so much the aim of the ministry of Jesus and the message of the New Testament and all really all of the Bible. Somewhere along the way, however, much of the church and maybe the world has gotten the idea that the sole aim of Jesus the sole aim of Jesus and with him, his church, is to get people into heaven when they die. In other words, when these earthly bodies die through the forgiveness of sins made possible through the death of Jesus, his atoning death on a cross on our behalf. All of which certainly was a part of Jesus' mission and all of which was true and good and important, but we must listen to the whole of scriptures the scriptures. We must pay attention to Jesus and not only what he said and what he taught, but what he did with his disciples, with his students, with his student, his pupils. Jesus' aim was not just to get people as they were, however they were, into heaven when they died. So much of Jesus' mission, including making the kingdom of God or the reign of God available to people right then, preparing them for that and for him then and now and here, not waiting until the death of our earthly bodies to introduce people to a closer knowledge of God, a deeper intimacy with God, but desiring that then, there, now, and here. And for whatever reason, that just doesn't happen in a snap. There's not a switch you can flip for that, and God doesn't flip a switch for that. It doesn't just happen all at once in a person or for a person when they say a certain prayer, sinner's prayer, or when they're baptized, or when they uh, become a member of a church, or when in the mail that certificate comes that says member of Waypoint Church or whatever church. Moreover, it's true that when the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans and the Ephesians and the Colossians about the old self and the new self, Paul never said, he never taught or implied that people who come to believe and trust Jesus are transformed in an instant. In fact, reflecting on his own life, as he did in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, he talks about this being a back and forth process, journey, three steps forward, two steps back, that involves mountains and valleys, victories and defeats, failures and successes. Back and forth. A person's spiritual life and a person's spirit changes, develops, grows over time through experiences and encounters and revelation and relationships. The growth of a person's spirit, if you will, often grows over time, and yet growth is not a given. You may have noticed. I'll say that again. The growth of a person's spirit 
or a person growing in the Spirit of God happens over time, but that growth is never a given. Sort of like wisdom. Wisdom comes with age. Wisdom comes with time, yes, and to some degree, but it doesn't always come with time. You know, we know we've experienced people who are old beyond and in their years, and yet there's no wisdom there. Some people and some of us have understood Christianity or the way of Jesus to be all about knowing and believing the right information, which then secures for a person a spot, admission to heaven. But such an understanding of Christianity and Jesus and his way fails to recognize that like God in whose image we are made, we are personal beings able to learn and grow and experience and relate. And God invites us not only into relationship, but also into healing and hope and being into a life in his name that is so rich and abundant and deep that the only word Jesus has for it is eternal. Not so much about quantity, but about quality and essence and being. And all of this is available, Jesus said, as a person seeks, as we seek God. And to such, Jesus invites people and he calls people. And when a person seeks God, as Jesus invites and calls people to do, there will be lots of finding. And there will be lots of being found. When we seek, we not only find, but we are found by the one who knew us before we even sought. And discovering and learning and growing and becoming, seek above all things, Jesus said. Seek the kingdom of God, seek God, seek God's reality, seek God's presence, seek God's rule, his reign over your life. How often do we pray, God, open me to your reign in my life? Like that second song we sang this morning. This is spiritual formation. And so following the Lord Jesus, we strive to cultivate spiritual growth continually. Not as an attempt to earn salvation or to earn God's approval, but in order to live more and more into the abundance of God and what he has for us and to become the sort of people that he created us to be in his image. There's so much available there. This is spiritual formation or spiritual growth. And what is the growth of one's spirit or growing in God's spirit? I think the two are synonymous. What does it look like? That's the central question. No single chapter in the Bible has an answer. You can't flip. And frustratingly, the Bible's 66 books written over thousands of years by 40 or so authors, kind of put together in a not always chronological way. You can't turn to a chapter that says, how do I grow spiritually? Unfortunately, and so we piece that together. What does the growth of one's spirit or growing in God's spirit look like? That's the central question. It's what God desires. About a, piece, a person being more fully united in spirit with God's spirit. But the scriptures as a whole don't have a neatly packaged, so much of what we get in the world today has been neatly organized and packaged and is easily presentable to us. Not as much so this. But the scriptures paint this picture. I'll, I'm gonna attempt to sort of bring together a few of those elements now. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia, the fruit of the Spirit, as in, this, as in Spirit, capital S, your growth. The fruit of the Spirit, necessary for growth in the Spirit, or representative of growth in the Spirit, indicative of the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Spirit, the outcome of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The presence of the Spirit in one's life and the marks of one who is growing in Spirit are love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the byproducts of an increase in these attributes. That is spiritual growth. To see an increase both by grace and by effort. The byproduct of the, or the result of being filled with the Spirit and growing in God's Spirit is and will be an increase in these attributes or virtues in a person's life, both by grace, gift, God's initiative, God's action, and by effort. And remember that grace and effort are not opposed to each other. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. That passage that we read earlier, Peter talks about effort. Verse, uh, verse five, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection and mutual affection love. Growing spiritually or growing in spirit or in the spirit always involves an increase in these nine attributes in a person's life. That's one way of seeing, describing, knowing spiritual growth. And spiritual growth can be described as becoming more and more like Jesus, not about one's own wishes, about who Jesus will be and what he'll be about and who he'll be for, but actually who Jesus was himself, becoming more and more like the Jesus of the scriptures. The Apostle Paul spoke in Romans 8 about being conformed to the image of God's Son. Paul encouraged the Christians in 1 Corinthians to have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. That's even a possibility. It's not my default. But in God's grace, we can, Paul teaches, begin more and more to have the mind of Christ. Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what we know is the disciple Peter's first letter, he encouraged his readers to follow, quote, in his steps, in Jesus' steps. If you want to know what spiritual growth looks like, a good way to seek that is to think, where did Jesus go? What did Jesus do? How did he go? How did he treat people? What did he see? Where was he? And then to follow as best one can in his steps. Some of you last Sunday when asked to define spiritual growth used language like this. Someone wrote, to grow spiritually is the process of becoming more like Jesus. One of you wrote, and I hope it's okay to quote a couple of you anonymously. One of you wrote, to personally experience Jesus in greater depths while and by apprenticing to him as a disciple. that's inevitably going to produce spiritual growth as God forms one's spirit. Dallas Willard wrote, as a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live in the kingdom of God. This is the crucial idea. That means, we recall, how to live within the range of God's effective will, his life flowing through mine. Another important way of putting this is to say that I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. Another one of you wrote last Sunday that spiritual growth can be described as, quote, having a deepening awareness of an incorporation into my life the spiritual reality of life. I like that. Having an awareness and incorporating that awareness into the living of my everyday life. Another of you wrote simply, growing in love for God. If your love for God, your passion for God, you're seeking after God, you're adoring God, you're giving to God praise, you're lifting God up as a part of, that's inevitably gonna create what we would call spiritual growth or the formation of our spirits. And you can see how different these things are than common in historical definitions or assumptions about what it means to grow in spirit or Holy Spirit. 
how different they are than some of the prevailing measures of which sometimes have included how well a person knows the Bible or the scriptures, how a person presents themselves through their language as spiritual. You know how that happens, how we try to present ourselves as spiritual, as if that's spiritual growth. How often a person goes to church, how much a person gives, a position one holds in the church, or a title, or a role, what they're called by. All of these things can be elements or can contribute to or truly be a part of a person's authentic spiritual growth, but these things may at the same time not be characteristic of what we might consider authentic spiritual growth. In fact, they may be counter to if we're not careful. A person really can know the Bible inside out, frontwards and backwards, as a literary work, but not as the word of God for their life, and so that knowledge or information contributes little or none to the shaping of a person's heart. It's really possible. It absolutely happens. You know, I believe that going to church, showing up here, being gathered with the body of Christ for community and fellowship and prayer and worship together, for iron sharpening iron, for loving one another, forgiving and for being forgiven, for confessing, for encouraging and being encouraged, you know that I value that and think it's important and is a way that God grows people spiritually. He grows us in spirit, his spirit. But sitting in a pew alone without interest or engagement or intention or seeking is just warming up the wooden pew. It can be, and it can go on for years, and it does, and it has with some of us. For the person who does want to grow in spirit, though, how does that ordinarily happen? How can that happen? I believe this usually involves seeking. It involves intention. It may begin with curiosity. It may begin with emptiness. It may begin with hunger. It may begin with a melancholy sense of hopelessness apart from God, an emptiness, a void. But at some point, a person realizes that though God may be near, getting to know God and growing in spirit involves not only God's presence and God's action, but also action on one's own part often often takes the form of seeking, of initiation, initiative. And then there's this whole basket of what have been called historically spiritual disciplines or practices. Disciplines, spiritual disciplines, disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. Just like other sorts of disciplines in our lives. How many of you uh, right now could, could go outside, lace up your running shoes, and run an eight-minute mile? See a few hands, a few hands. How many of you, if you practiced and trained diligently between now and Easter, could run an eight-minute mile? Wow, that's bad news. Still so few of you. I was hoping it would be, let's say, how about a 10-minute mile? <laughs> Better. You understand the point. Disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do right now by direct effort. But with time and with God's grace and with help and with training and with practice and with intention, they allow us to do things down the road that we can't do now or to be or to become a person that we're not right now. Again, operating within and under the realm of God's grace. And the effect of disciplines is that they enable us to do what needs to be done or what we desire to do or be about when in time we are able to do that. Some spiritual disciplines involve engagement and some involve disengagement. Some involve doing and some involve, frankly, refraining from doing which in some ways are the harder disciplines. In his classic little book, uh, Celebration of Discipline, which I highly, 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 highly recommend, Richard Foster categorizes some spiritual disciplines as inward, as outward, and some as corporate. In other words, done together. Not business or companies, but done together or involving others. Put those up on the screen right now. Going from upper left to lower right, not many of us regularly practice meditation. 
but we would call that awareness today. They would call that mindfulness. It is noticing. It is noticing what's going on around oneself. It is noticing people. It is noticing God in one's midst. And it's easy to miss, easy to miss when one is busy, when one doesn't slow down, when one is not intentional. Meditation. And then prayer. We talk about prayer. There's a lot of talk about prayer. Gladys made a lot of announcement about prayer. We pray when we're together. And, we and prayer is so easily inaccessible. But truly to stop and slow down and pray and speak and verbalize words is very much a discipline that is hard at first, but once practiced. Maybe it's been your story. I don't know if it's been your story. Like alone, there was a time when I found it impossible to pray for 30 seconds without my mind wandering years ago. Just gone. 10 seconds, 15 seconds. I'm gone. But when I learned that it's okay to write down my prayers, you can sit and pray for a long time. When I learned that it's okay, to, and kind of weird for most of us, it was for me at first, to pray out loud when I'm by myself, which used to be a part of my practice when I was younger and single and lived alone where other people aren't listening in, was a rich, rich experience and part of a discipline that grew this relationship with God. Fasting, uh, to someone who's never fasted, how in the world can missing a meal bring one in closer proximity to God or grow one's spirit unless you've done it, unless you've read, thought, prayed, and then actually done it? You won't know, but if you do, you will realize quickly the spiritual importance and what's available and possible through this weird but ancient practice of ceasing to eat, of ceasing to be nourished by food. Man does not live by bread alone, Jesus said, and to live into that truth. Study, I'm gonna try to pick up the pace. Study of the scriptures, study of good Christian books, of which there are thousands most of which go unread. Books, books, books. Study the scriptures. The outward disciplines, simplicity, realizing that one can live with less and living in greater dependence on God, solitude. And Foster wrote this 30 years ago, having no idea what was ahead. I think the discipline that our generation needs more than any other today being attached as we are to our smartphones that make us dumber is solitude, is setting those aside, is turning those off, is taking Sabbath from devices and being not lonely but alone with oneself and with God. Blaise Pascal talked in his little book, Pensees, about the incredible value of sitting alone quietly in a room. I read about people who go on retreats and they take with them all sorts of resources and really what is least bearable to us but often most needed is simply being alone with oneself and alone with, not with books, alone, alone. Hard to do, to make time for that in our busy lives. Submission, the more I read the scriptures, the more often this theme comes up of be subject to and it's not just wives to husbands. Be subject to the community. Be subject to one's leaders. Be subject to one's spouse. Be subject, masters, to your employees. Employees to your bosses. Bosses to your employees. Children to your parents. Parents to your children. Learning this practice of not being in charge, not being in control, not having one's own way all of the time. Oh, has the power to renovate one's spirit. Service we talked about three Sundays ago. And to practice living the life of a servant. The Corporate Disciplines Confession, I encourage you to read the chapter on such in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book, little bitty book, Life Together. Worship. 
And by that, foster means not just singing and not just being present, but willfully giving to God praise, which I I've, I think I've told you before, did not discover, though I grew up in church and knew a lot of hymns, had a couple of them memorized. Don't think I ever worshiped God until I was in college at a conference in Illinois. I thought, oh, in this experience of worship with thousands of other college students, that's worship, which is a wholly different experience than singing. Guidance is spiritual direction, an often forgotten and lost practice celebration is to live in the fullness of God and to give him glory. And these are potential means of growth and spirit, ways to cultivate spiritual growth. This isn't an exhaustive list. There isn't an exact or exhausted list. We could add to this a number of things. For the person who struggles with gossip, we could just say the spiritual discipline is not just no longer gossiping, but ceasing refraining from talking as long as one can't do so without gossiping. I heard someone recently talk about the spiritual discipline of not having the last word. And I thought, oh, that just hit me right here. Because though I haven't thought a lot about that, I'm, I'm, I love to have the last word. Karen's not here this morning. She's in the nursery. Um, recently, uh, we were having a, a conversation or a discussion or maybe been an argument um, and back and forth and back and forth in this idea of the, dis- the spiritual discipline of not having the last word. Um, she said something. I said something. She said something. I said something. She said something. Uh, I'm going to practice the discipline of the last word. And so I said, all right, you get the last word. <laughs> And that was me getting the last word, right? <laughs> kind of going, oh. She didn't know what was going on inside. Of me. See, that, that doesn't, it, didn't, it wasn't about her. How does one grow? In spirit, how does that happen? We know kind of what that looks like. How does that happen? Through disciplines, through small groups, which sometimes I talk about and have been incredibly meaningful for me over the course of my life. And I know for many of you, many of our lives are so busy, it's hard to find time for true, intimate, regular, open, transparent, helpful, sharpening, encouraging, holding one another accountable, small groups. It's hard in the busyness of our own lives, or we don't know those people, but that can be an invaluable, if you will, spiritual discipline or practice. Surrendering things to God, not having to be in control, taking Sabbath, maybe especially for pastors, but for all of us, stopping, ceasing, goes along with some of the things that Foster talked about. Some people have talked about the importance in the development of one's or the growth of one's spirit, stepping out in faith, taking chances, taking risks, and how that can empower as a means A couple of you said last week that you experienced, you have experienced over the last year, spiritual growth through challenges, a couple of you said, which can be uh, really valuable if we allow them to be. I think it was St. Ignatius who recognized four pursuits that seemed to be really important to people so many hundreds of years ago. The pursuit of health, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of success, and the pursuit of longevity. And hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it's amazing how contemporary those four pursuits still are. And yet, It is often in the opposite 
if we are available to God, that he grows our spirits, is it not? In poverty, when we're ill, when we're, uh, when people die prematurely and in failure, those two very much are opportunity, not things to pursue, but when they come along, when that's our life, God can grow us. I think practicing living in God's grace, realizing our dependence on him, we talk about it on communion Sundays a little bit more, but recognizing the incredible grace of God and having that as a spiritual discipline is a way that we grow, recognizing God's grace all around us. I think gratitude and the practice of gratitude, who's ever thought of gratitude as a spiritual discipline? but to be grateful in all things. Paul wrote, you remember, to the Thessalonians, be grateful in all circumstances. Not grateful for all circumstances, but grateful in. Someone told me that uh, practicing that over the last few months has been almost transformative for them, growth in spirit. And then I think uh, maybe one last thing. One thing before one last thing. Ignatius talks about uh, moving things that help us move toward God and things that cause us to move away from God. And he regularly, just daily, hourly asked himself that question. Is this thing helping me move toward God or away from God? Toward God or away from God? And he would ask himself that question over and over and over and then respond and then act accordingly, wanting to move toward God, but recognizing it goes both ways. All right, just a little Ignatius. We don't arrive at spiritual perfection. We don't arrive at some place where all of a sudden I'm Jesus or you're Jesus or you're, it's just not the way it works. But there's this place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about, in English, what is perfection. In Greek, it's teleos. It means to arrive or to be complete or to be mature or to be whole. And he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect or complete or mature, completely mature or spiritually mature. Be, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect as God is perfect. It's kind of a quote, sort of semi from Deuteronomy. But the context there is love for enemies. The context there is love for neighbors. And so it's really, if God is love, the formation of our spirits into a spirit like God, spiritual growth, spiritual formation, really at its very heart, and some of us have come to see this the older that we get, is about becoming a more and more and more loving person as our Father in heaven is loving. When we do that, we become like him, we become closer to him, our spirits grow. It was the heart and soul of Jesus' ministry. It was the heart and soul of what he was, and so I'm so always grateful that it's the first of our values to love all people unconditionally. That's like a simple recipe for spiritual growth. We may not think of it that way. We may think of it as outward action, but if our heart is in it, it's how we grow. When we're challenged to love that person, and then we do love that person, we grow. When we're challenged to love that person, we don't love that person, or refuse to, or shy away, or refrain, we don't grow. That's just the way it works. So how do you practice loving? How do you discipline yourself to love people that you don't really love? Jesus gave a little clue there in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, start by just saying hello to people on the road. And then with the people that you don't really like, pray for them. Which is a doable step. Like there are people I can pray for if I sit down and kind of go, I'm gonna pray for, I don't like, I don't like, pray for them. I can do that. 
But as we begin to do that and do that more and continue to do that, we begin, we can't help but see them the way God sees them and begin to love them even though in ourselves there's very little of that. And so, one more thing. Again, we, we did the Sermon on the Mount last fall. We didn't really talk about it in the context of or as our last uh, spring. We didn't talk about it in the context of spiritual growth or cultivating spiritual growth, but it's all over. One of the poisons to spiritual growth is the way that people like me judge other people. One of the poisons to spiritual growth is the way that I and others like me critically, condemningly look down our noses in arrogant condescension and judge harshly, Jesus phrased that word, other people. Dallas Willard says, in contrast, what a relief it is to meet people and not have to judge them. What a relief it is to come to know someone or to be introduced to someone and to not have to form an opinion about them, but just to love, that's freedom. Let's pray. Yes. I'm gonna invite you just to close your eyes and take several deep, deep breaths. As you breathe in, breathe in spirit. God's spirit is here. God's spirit is available. God's spirit has invited you to breathe in, breathe spirit in. Spirit has invited you to become one, one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Take this opportunity. Receive the invitation right now. Breathe in, Spirit. Deeply. Receive the Spirit. The Spirit is here. Spirit is available. We are but a step away, a spiritual step away from stepping into the kingdom that is rich, that is separating us by just a sheer veil. Every day, all the time, we are invited. We are invited to step through the veil into a kingdom that has different standards that has different expectations, that turns everything on its head. Receive the invitation to step into this other realm, the heavenly realm that lives right next to us all the time. Receive the invitation. Do not set it aside and forget to RSVP. Receive the invitation to come into this kingdom to which you have been called. This is a kingdom to which you have the option to belong as fully as you are willing to receive. It is available to you. Breathe in the spirit. Set aside the complexity of your life. Set aside the busyness of your life. Stop depending on earthly riches to define you, to give you courage, to give you status. Set those aside and begin to depend fully upon a king who has everything you need. Approach him in simplicity, knowing that he is a God who cares about every detail of your life. Talk to him. 
enter in in prayer into this relationship that you are invited. Talk to him about everything. He cares about all of your feelings. He cares about all of your experiences. He cares about all of it. Every bit of you. Begin to depend on him to meet your needs. The complexity of our lives wars against this intimate experience of prayer. There is nonstop distraction from receiving the invitation, from responding to the invitation. But when you receive it, when you step into this other kingdom, you will realize that this is life. This is the only source of life, is being united with the Lord's Spirit. He is your preserver of life, real life. Jesus said, this is eternal life, to believe in God and the one he sent, Jesus Christ. Do you believe? And in that belief, do you step into your life, your eternal life that begins now? And there, can you let the Lord renovate your heart Can you begin to meld into his likeness? I pray that we each will receive that invitation and step in, Lord. May we be like you. May we receive our life and sustenance from you. Help us to just set it all aside, all this earthly distraction, Lord and step into being with you. Amen.